Orion sets when Scorpio rises. The 3rd of December, 1865. 42 degrees 43 minutes south, 170 degrees 58 minutes east. Moon in Taurus, Orion's Reach. In which Anna Wetherill, lost to meditation, tallies her obligations, a project that gives rise to such disconsolation that her mind averts its eye, so to speak, and casts about for another, lighter subject, alighting inevitably upon the smiling, bright-eyed form of Emery Staines, whose good opinion she has come to desire above all the others of her acquaintance, a desire quashed just as often as it is expressed, knowing his situation to be a world above her own, his prospects as bright and numerous as hers are dark and few, and presuming his regard for her to be likewise contrary, that is, the very opposite of hers for him, a belief held in spite of the fact that he has called upon her thrice since her recovery, and recently made her a present of a bottle of Andalusian brandy, the last bottle of its kind in all of Hokitika, though as she took it from his hands he became suddenly stricken and begged to recover it and return with another more suitable gift, to which she replied honestly, that she was very flattered to be given a gift that did not attempt in any way to be suitable. And anyway, it was the last bottle of its kind in all of Hokitika, and for that, much rarer and more singular than any favour or trinket she had ever received. Anna's debt to Mannering had doubled in the past month. A hundred pounds! It would take her a decade to repay that amount, perhaps even longer, if one considered the rates of usury and the cost of opium and the fact that her own value inevitably would come to fall. Her breath had fogged the corner of the window. She reached out to touch it. There was a snatch of something in her head, a maxim. A woman fallen has no future. A man risen has no past. Had she heard it spoken somewhere? Or had she composed it of her own accord? Sun in Scorpio in which Emery Staines, lost to meditation, doubts his own intentions, his natural frankness having accepted very readily the fact of his desire, and the fact of his delight, and the ease with which his pleasure might be got, expressions that cause him no shame, but that nevertheless give him pause, for he feels, whatever the difference in their respective stations, a certain bond with Anna Wetherill, a connection by virtue of which he feels less rather than more complete, in the sense that her nature, being both oppositional to and in accord with his own, seems to illumine those internal aspects of his character that his external manner does not or cannot betray, leaving him feeling both halved and doubled, or in other words, doubled when in her presence and halved when out of it, and as a consequence he becomes suddenly doubtful of those qualities of frankness and good-natured curiosity upon which he might ordinarily have acted, without doubt and without delay, these meditations being interrupted, frequently, by a remark of Joseph Pritchard's. If it weren't for her debt, her dependency, she'd have had a dozen propositions from a dozen men, that keeps returning, uncomfortably and without variation, to his mind. Perhaps he could buy her for the night. In the morning he could take her to the Arahura, where he would show her the fortune he had buried there, he could explain that he meant to give exactly half of it to her. Would it defeat the purpose of the gift if he had already paid for the pleasure of her company? Perhaps. But could he endure it that other men knew her in a way that he, Staines, did not? 
He did not know. He crushed a leaf against his palm and then lifted his palm to his nose to smell the juices. Part 12 The Old Moon in the Young Moon's Arms The 14th of January, 1866 42 degrees 43 minutes south, 170 degrees 58 minutes east. The Luminaries In which Anna Wetherill is purchased for the night. Alistair Lauderback rides to meet his bastard brother. Francis Carver makes for the Arahura Valley on a tip. Walter Moody disembarks upon New Zealand soil. Lydia Wells spins her wheel of fortune. George Shepherd sits in the jailhouse, his rifle laid across his knees. A shipping crate on Gibson Quay is opened. The lovers lie down together. Carver uncorks a file of laudanum. Moody turns his face to unfamiliar skies. The lovers fall asleep. Lauderback rehearses his apology. Carver comes upon the excavated fortune. Lydia spins her wheel again. Emery Staines wakes to an empty bed. Anna Wetherill, in need of solace, lights her pipe. Staines falls and strikes his head. Anna is concussed. In drugged confusion, Staines sets out into the night. In concussed confusion, Anna sets out into the night. Lauderback spies his brother's cottage from the ridge. Crosby Wells drinks half the file. Moody checks into an hotel. Staines makes a misstep on Gibson Key and collapses. Anna makes a misstep on the Christchurch Road and collapses. The lid of the shipping crate is nailed in place. Carver commits a piece of paper to the stove. Lydia Wells laughs long and gaily. Shepherd blows his lantern out. And the hermit's spirit detaches itself ever so gently and begins its lonely passage upwards to find its final resting place among the stars. Tonight shall be the very beginning. Was it? It shall be, for me. My beginning was the albatrosses. That is a good beginning. I'm glad it is yours. Tonight shall be mine. Ought we to have different ones? Different beginnings? I think we must. Will there be more of them? A great many more. Are your eyes closed? Yes. Are yours? Yes. Though it's so dark, it hardly makes a difference. I feel more than myself. I feel as though a new chamber of my heart has opened. Listen. What is it? The rain. The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton was read by Mark Meadows. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.